0: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior and the to tumult And cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to behold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this.
1: Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word this morning, and we come out of a world full of worry and anxiety, and disturbance, and chaos, may we find in your word a fountain of peace today. May we crown in our hearts the Prince of Peace and see his reign extended into every part of us. Lord, we ask that you would do this through your word this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today is the second Sunday of Advent, and our focus today is on peace. Peace in a world full of strife, in a digital age full of hostility, in a political environment full of vitriol, in a global pandemic full of unrest and distrust and anxiety. We need peace, don't we? We need peace. We all know it. We need it. We need real peace. But where will that peace come from? Where will we find it? What is peace, after all? I like think Many people might say that peace is simply the absence of strife. Peace is the absence of stressful things in my life. It's not a bad thing definition, but it's not a great one either, right? The Bible has a better definition. The Bible's concept of peace is much bigger than what most people have in mind. Shalom. Do you know that word, Hebrew word? Shalom means peace. The Hebrew concept of peace is more than just the absence of hostility. It is a positive presence, It's everything working as it should. Shalom, peace. Shalom is human society functioning as it should. It's family relationships functioning like they should. It's the life of the mind and the emotional state of the heart being what they ought to be. The Bible's concept of peace isn't just the absence of the negative, It is a positive force for good. It's a positive force for the flourishing of God's world and God's creatures. Shalom. Peace. If that's what real peace is, where then does that peace come from? The the season of Advent that we're in right now is meant to remind us of something. It's meant to remind us where true peace comes from. Advent means coming. Real peace comes from a child born for us. A son given for us. The bringer of peace himself has stepped into the world. And it's on his shoulders the governance of all things falls. There will be no end to the increase of his government or his peace. For this reason, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Father of Eternities, the Prince of Peace. But it begs a question. If the Prince of Peace has already come, that's what we're celebrating. If the Prince of Peace has already come, where is his peace? Where is it? As we look in the world today, where is it? If the child, who is the mighty God, has already been born, why is there still so much hostility in the world today? Why is there so much strife and stress in my life? Why aren't things functioning as they should? Where is this peace we were promised? Well, just as there are two Advent's comings of Christ, a first coming, a second coming, there is also a sense in which His peace has come now, and a sense in which it has not yet come. You can experience the foretaste of it now, but you still have to wait for the fullness. It's coming. Jesus told us it would be this way. He told us that there is a type of peace that he was not bringing now. Do you remember this? He said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against his, her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Doesn't seem to take much work there, but Jesus came to do it. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus did not come at first to end all relational strife. As a matter of fact, Jesus says his coming, his first coming, will create some additional relational strife. As people all over the world choose to follow Christ, it often comes with a relational cost. It comes with parents who disown them, with family members who abandon them, with friends who turn against them and reject them. The gospel of peace often makes enemies. The gospel of love often sparks people's hate. The gospel of grace often brings the condemnation of others upon those who believe it. So, when the Prince of Peace comes the first time, he doesn't promise us that everything externally will be as it should. He doesn't promise us peace in that sense. He actually promises us the opposite. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. Everything will not be as it should be. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. There is a kind of peace you can have right now. In the midst of the world's chaos and hostility, we can know internal peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. We can know it now. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace. I give you not as the world gives do I give to you so do not let your heart be troubled today do not be fearful Christ gives you his peace in the midst of chaos Jesus promises us a peace that goes with us through the storm it doesn't stop the storm it goes with us through the storm it doesn't take the storm away It doesn't take strife away. It doesn't take cancer away. Not yet, at least. Instead, Jesus gives us the peace needed to overcome it. The peace needed not to be overcome by it. That's what Jesus gives us. What does this peace look like? What does it look like for real peace to reign in our hearts right now? A real peace that's connected with Christ's coming? To answer that question, we need to ask Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. He knows exactly what this kind of peace looks like. If you haven't found it already, turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. We're looking at verses 1 through 7. And there are eight truths about real peace I want you to see here. If you're a note taker this morning, I've got eight truths, eight points for you to see. Uh, I didn't give you any points last week, so it's, I'm keeping you on your toes. You've got eight this week to make up from no points last week. Uh, eight, by the way, is also the number of Finter retreat students I expect to see asleep at some point uh, during this message. Um, but students, if you take good notes and show me all eight points at the end, I will give you extra points to your team. I can do that, right, Jared? I I can do that, okay? Uh, the, The first truth I want you to see is this, and it comes in verse one. Real peace dispels our gloom. Real peace dispels our gloom. Look with me at verse one. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. No more gloom for her who was in anguish. The anguish in the world today is real, folks. It's real. The suffering of the world is real. Unlike some religions who seek to minimize personal anguish to the point of outright dismissing it, the Bible doesn't sweep human suffering under a rug, ever. It actually shines the spotlight on suffering. The Scripture affirms that suffering is real. The anguish is real. It is heartfelt in the world. But the peace of God is also just as real. Just as real as the anguish. Just as real as the suffering. God's peace is a force for good that can change our hearts as well as our perspectives. The peace of Christ can change the gloom of a prison cell into a place to sing praises in the night. Read the book of Acts. The peace of God can change the gloom of lost property and homes destroyed into an opportunity to trust God and rejoice that you have a better and abiding possession in the kingdom that is coming. The peace of God can change the gloom of sickness and cancer into a peace that says with Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. What kind of peace does Jesus bring now in his first advent? It's a peace that dispels the gloom of our anguish. Verse 1, And verse 1, real peace transforms the contemptuous into something glorious. If your bedtime last night, like our students, was 2 a.m., I'll give you a second to spell contemptuous. Think about it, contemptuous. It transforms the contemptuous into something glorious. How? How do we see God transforming the contemptuous into something glorious in these verses? In order to see it, you have to know a little something about Galilee. Look again, verse nine. He treated the land of Zeppelin and Nephitali with contempt, but later he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea, the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. In order to understand what's going on here, you need a little bit of background, but fortunately, it's not anything that's hard to understand. Galilee was a minor place in a minor province of the Roman empire it was the backwoods of the backwoods remember the first response of nathaniel hearing that jesus came from nazareth he said can anything good come out of nazareth can anything good come out of nazareth can anything good come out of small town galilee we can understand this right we can understand this because we probably have a similar prejudice About somewhere, someplace. When we lived in Yorkshire, it was Rotherham. Can anything good come out of Rotherham? In Northumbria, it was Middlesbrough. Can anything good come out of Middlesbrough? Growing up in Jackson, Alabama, it was Leroy on the other side of the bridge. Can anything good come out of Leroy? We're a small hick town, but the other side of the bridge, that's a smaller place. That's a more hick town than us. I know drivers who give a wide berth to anyone with a license plate from a certain county. Is there any way that county can produce a good driver? It seems like the answer is no. You probably have places like that in your mind. But guess what, church? These are the very places God delights to work. God delights to transform the contemptuous into something glorious. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Alberta City? Yes, it can, as God extends his peace through the gospel. He loves to make diamonds in the rough. God doesn't find diamonds in the rough like in Disney's Aladdin. He doesn't do that. He makes them. He makes them. He delights to extend his peace into the roughest of situations. This is where Jesus found himself in ministry, right? This is the company he kept, and the religious crowd hated him for it. But they didn't realize this. What the Pharisees missed was this. They didn't realize this about God that God loves to take the contemptuous and make it glorious. Remember, Isaiah wrote these words over 700 years before God would fill Galilee, a small backwoods place. God would fill Galilee with his glory by having Jesus pour out his life and ministry there. If you're here today, and you are not a Christian, that should make you scratch your head and wonder Is this just a historical coincidence that Isaiah picked Galilee out of all the places in the world he could pick? He said, Galilee's the place where the light's going to shine. Is that a historical coincidence? Or is there really a guiding hand at work here? Telling us in advance what he will do and where he will do it. The more you read the Bible and see this happen, the harder it is to dismiss as coincidence. If you're seeing this here for the first time, don't dismiss it. Don't dismiss it, but instead look deeper into all these things the Bible foretold about Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years before he steps on the scene, before the light comes to Galilee. There's a third truth about peace I want you to see, and that's in verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, The people who walked in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Real peace is like a light pushing out the darkness. That's point number three. Real peace is like a light that pushes out the darkness. This is why defining peace as just the absence of strife doesn't quite cut it. You can't just define peace in a negative way. We can't just define it by what it is not. God's peace is a positive force, like light bursting onto the scene. Light that casts out the darkness. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Jesus who made that statement is either he either has a confidence level that is out of this world. He has an ego that is unmatched in all of history. I am the light of the world. You follow me? You'll walk in light, not darkness. Either he has an ego unmatched in history or he is just telling us the truth like it is. He really is the light of the world. To follow him is to step out of the dark and into the light of life. To trust him is to push out the darkness of doubt, and embrace the light of his peace. What does this light look like experientially? I'm sure that a great many of us have experienced moments of darkness, of real darkness and despair in our lives, moments of worry, moments of paralyzing anxiety, but then what? but then it's like the light comes on. Perhaps it was a scripture promise you remembered in that moment. Perhaps it was a person who reminds you of the love of Christ. Perhaps it's just you sitting there all alone, telling all your heart to Jesus, and in response, his peace comes upon you like a flood. But in that moment, it's like a switch has been turned. A light has suddenly come on that pushes back the darkness and replaces it with his peace. I think every believer probably knows that experience. No one pushes out the darkness of despair merely by wishing it gone. Merely by wishing it so. You've got to put something positive in to fill that void. Forcing the darkness out, forcing it to leave, evicting it from your heart. You've got to replace your anxious thoughts with calls to trust in a good Savior, with an active heart that holds on to His peace. And when you seek His peace, guess what? When you seek Him, you'll find Him. When you seek His peace, You'll find it when you seek it with all your heart. God's peace can invade your heart like a light, pushing out the darkness. Here's a fourth truth about peace. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence with a gladness as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Truth number four, real peace involves things multiplying and increasing as they ought. Real peace involves things multiplying and increasing as they ought. Here you see the nation multiplying. Verse three, you shall multiply the nation. This is part of the original mission. God gave humanity, be fruitful and multiply. But sin... And sickness and strife undercut this mission. They stop this multiplying. Things are not as they should be quite often. There are struggles with infertility. There are miscarriages. Strife and war make people diminish instead of multiply. Shalom, peace, all things as they should is absent for now. But that's not the end of the story, is it? God shall bring his shalom again. He shall multiply his people. He shall increase their gladness when, there's a clue in verse three, when it's time. the harvest. When it's harvest time, verse 3, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, God shall restore his peace in a climactic sense one day. One day it's coming. Now is the time of toil and sweat and tears, but a harvest of rejoicing awaits us. It is coming. God's shalom, all things abundantly being as they should, will become the only reality we will know then. But even before that day arrives, we can taste some of the first fruits of that final harvest now. Our hearts can be glad in the spoils now that Christ has won for us. In Jesus, you get a life full of purpose and meaning, not just in the life to come, but right now. It's here now. You get to enjoy sweet rest in our Savior in the midst of a chaotic world now. You get the privilege of being on mission with Jesus and for Jesus in his world now. The first fruits have come now of his peace and here is just one part of that, one part of that mission. Look at verse 4. Here, here's the verse 4. We, we break the yoke of oppression on people's shoulders. So I want you to see that in verse 4. Verse 4. 4, For you shall break the yoke of their burden, the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. When we... Join Jesus in his work and mission. As we break the oppressor's rod and the yoke that's burdensome upon people's shoulders, there's a a fifth truth about peace, what that looks like I want you to see. Here it is, number five. Real peace involves breaking the yoke of oppression. Real peace involves breaking the yoke of oppression. Tyranny and unjust authority are antithetical to peace, aren't they? Just by definition, it's the opposite of peace. They represent the exact opposite of what it looks like for all things to work together as they ought. Shalom, peace. Jesus-loving Christians should and have throughout history sought to break oppressive yokes from people's shoulders. The abolition of slavery in the world was spearheaded by evangelical Christians. It's not a coincidence that equal voting rights first appeared in those countries with the longest history of Christianity. That's not a coincidence. Widow burning and child exploitation were fought most fiercely by those who found their peace in Jesus. As Christians... We seek to extend peace in a messed up world. But, as Christians, we also recognize that not all oppression is physical and can be addressed by social reforms. The greatest burdens and yoke on people's shoulders have always been spiritual ones. Always. They are found in False religion that promises acceptance but leaves you living in dread of never measuring up. They're found in spiritual pride. That's a yoke, that's a heavy yoke, that sees others as less deserving of God's favor than yourself. They're found in Pharisee like desires to be your own Savior based on how well you keep the rules. The greatest oppression is living in spiritual darkness, ignorant of the gospel's light, not knowing the peace and joy that Jesus brings. It's the greatest yoke on our shoulders because this is a burden you will carry to the grave and beyond the grave. As the church... Our heart beats to break the yoke of people's burdens and oppressive suffering, all burdens, all suffering, but we know that the greatest suffering is eternal suffering, isn't it? Only Jesus' church has the good news which takes that burden away, takes that suffering away. God has entrusted us with that good news. He's entrusted us to be ministers of his peace. Jesus made us ambassadors of peace and reconciliation to a lost world. That's who we are. Jesus says to others through us, come, come and enter into my peace, purchased for you at my own expense. I've done it all. Christ has done it all. You need only bow the knee now, and He will abundantly pardon. He will break the oppressive yoke on your neck and give you peace. His burden is light, His yoke is small. That's our mission, church. That's our real mission. All the physical things that we do to help others are simply small reflections of the greater spiritual work. The work of seeing eternal burdens lifted in Christ off of people's shoulders. There's a sixth truth about peace, about the peace that Jesus brings in verse 5. It's this, real peace comes without the need for deterrence. Real peace comes without the need for deterrence. Look at verse five. For every boot of the booted warrior in battle, tumult, and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. In our present world, peace is largely kept through unpeaceful means, unpeaceful deterrence. They won't nuke us because our government will nuke them. They won't kidnap us abroad because if they did, a team of Marines would parachute in and take them all out at night. The peace that we have now is often kept through deterrence. But Christ's kingdom has no need for such deterrence. The warrior's gear is thrown in the fire, it's not needed. The swords, Revelation said, are beaten into plowshares. Weapons of war are turned into instruments for the harvest. Why is this? The answer, just to abridge a quote by G.K. Chesterton, is that God's peace is remaking the world, is remaking this world to be a place where good things can run wild good things can run wild. No deterrents are needed any longer. Force is no longer needed to keep mankind from doing all that's in his heart. Why? Because all that's in his heart is good when God's peace arrives in its fullness. God will so completely transform us one day that we can run wild in a world free from sin. That is good news. How do we know, though? How do we know that day is coming? How do we know? We know it by looking at Christmas. We know because the bright morning star of the world has already dawned. It's already come. A child has been born for us. A son has been given for us. Look with me now verse 6. We see this seventh truth about peace. truth is this. Real peace comes through a prince born to die for us. Verse 7, sorry, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Real peace comes in the form of a person. Peace comes as a person, a person who is called the Prince of Peace. He is the one who will give us the world we all want. He is the one who restores all things back to working as they should. He is the king returning to set all things right. How can any one person, you may ask, how can any one person possibly do all that? How? No man could do that, bring full peace to the world, set all things right completely. No one could do that. No, Certainly no child could unless that child was also God. This is what Isaiah foretold. This child, this son of man, would also be the son of God. He would be the mighty God. God come to save us. Over 700 years later, this is what the New Testament said about this one who came into the world. John's gospel begins this way. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. All things came into being through him. Nothing, you see nothing out there that did not come through him. He was life, and in him was the light of men. And what happens? This word who was with God, who was God, this word becomes flesh. Flesh and he lives among us. To be a real Christian, you really have to believe that Jesus is God, come in flesh. You have to. That the creator has stepped into his creation. God himself has entered into actual history. That's what we as Christians believe. God himself came to earth To establish his peace. By destroying the works of the devil. By undoing the fear and sting of death. So that we today can gladly sing at Christmas. Good Christian men rejoice. With heart and soul and voice. Now ye need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ was born To save. He Himself is our peace. You can know this kind of death defeating peace now, today. You can have His peace now by believing in Jesus' victory for you over sin, over death, over the grave. That's the beginning of His peace, but that is nowhere near its end. Look with me at verse 7 and our final truth. Verse 7 says, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Here's our final truth about peace. Real peace comes through extending the reign of Christ in our lives. Real peace comes through extending the reign of Jesus in our lives. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace, Isaiah says. The rule and reign of Christ is expanding in this world And in us, it may begin small like a mustard seed of faith in our heart, but his reign grows and it grows. What starts small grows up to become the dominant plant in the garden of our lives. If you're a Christian today, this has already started. This has already started in your heart. But, Christ's rule and reign in you is nowhere near what it will become one day. Jesus will ultimately extend his peace into every area of your heart and life. That is coming. There, is no, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. There is not one square inch of you. Or of the universe that Jesus does not rightly say it is mine. And I've come to extend my peace over it. I've come to make it work as it ought to again. I've come to redeem it. For it is mine. You can rejoice this Christmas that no power of hell, no scheme of man, can stop the king of kings from extending his peace. Ultimately, every knee will bow to King Jesus. Every part of you will bow the knee gladly to Jesus as king over it. The great privilege for us as believers is this. We get to start now. We get to start this work early. It's coming. Every knee will bow. We get to start that in advance. We get to experience a foretaste of Christ's peace now as we extend the reign of Christ into every nook and cranny of our lives. So, this Christmas season, ask yourself. Where am I lacking peace? Where am I anxious? Where are things in my life not functioning as they should? Is it with my health? Then I need to ask myself, how can I extend the reign of Christ into my frailty and experience His peace there? Is it with my future? I'm anxious over the future. Then I need to ask myself, how can I trust in Jesus' good reign so much that I find peace now, whatever the future might hold? Is it my lack of peace? Is it caused by relational strife? Then I need to ask myself, how can I rely more on Jesus to be kind, and bear with this person at the Christmas table as a vessel of Christ's peace in this strained relationship? You may not have good answers to those questions, but I bet there are people here in this church family who do. There are people here who have walked through those situations before you, I bet there are folks here who have walked through similar struggles to what you're having and who can share with you how they found peace in Christ through it. If you would unburden yourself to someone, I bet you would find more help than you expected. Far more grace than the condemnation you fear. We are ambassadors of Christ not just for the world's peace, but for one another's peace as well. It's together we extend the reign of Christ into a broken and disconnected world, into the broken and disconnected bits of our life. Talk to someone today about where you need Christ's peace in your life. Talk to me today about where you need to extend the good rule of Jesus in your life. Maybe it's that very first step of acknowledging him as your savior and king. If that's you, please find me. Find me after the service or as we stand and sing a song of response, find me. God wants us to know real peace. He wants you to know real peace, peace in the midst of life's storms. Let's be agents of extending that peace so that we can genuinely say this Christmas, it is well. It may be chaotic outside, but it is well. It is well with my soul.